Hello, and welcome to Linux Action News, episode 189, recorded on May 15th, 2021. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. Last week, we discussed Audacity's new management and their pull request adding telemetry to the project. Well, this week, it seems they've reversed course. Plans to use Google Analytics and Yandex to track and analyze events within Audacity was greeted with considerable alarm by the community. The request itself is nearing 3,500 clicks of the thumbs-down emoji as we record, with remarks such as it being, quote, a massive middle finger to the application's supporters, capturing the strength of some community members' feelings. And those are really just the people we heard from. Yeah, that's right. Now, despite attempts to calm things down, new project lead Martin Curie, also known as Tanta Cruel, posted yesterday that the plans as originally envisaged had been dropped. Google and Yandex would not feature in the immediate future, and self-hosting would be used for error reporting and update checks. Curie described the original poll request as, quote, a bad communication slash coordination blunder, saying that they were very sorry for causing so much alarm. He went on to say the response to PR 835 has brought about a realization at Muse that the convenience of using Yandex and Google is at odds with the public perception of trustworthiness, so we will be self-hosting instead. Kerry goes on to say, It was a completely innocent mistake that ended up doing the announcing for us in the worst way possible. In other words, Wes, he's basically saying the problem was not the Google Analytics or the Yandex tracking, but the fake news about adding Google Analytics and Yandex. Yeah, I'm not sure that response is really acknowledging that the root of the issue here was the telemetry itself and not the communication. Although I'm sure the project would have liked to have more control over that communication. In open source and in a project that's just changed hands, you've got to expect that a PR is going to get some scrutiny. Yeah, when you put it out there, we're all going to see it. That's how it works in the free software world, and especially with the quintessential free software audio editor. Even with these changes, Kiri remains keen on telemetry overall, hoping to be informed about where time and effort could be and need to be invested in the project. There have been a few options floated for going forward, including making an optional add-on that users could elect to install, but that's all for the future to be decided. They'll have to make do without telemetry for the time being. Our next headline in news that you should know this week involves a story we've been covering for a very long time on the show, and that is Google's slow cook of Fuchsia OS. Now, you might recall back in December, Google opened up Fuchsia to developers of all varieties to contribute to the Fuchsia project. And we noted that moment right here on the show because it really also was it was a milestone in the sense that the project came out into the limelight for the first time and Google started publicly talking about Fuchsia and contributing to Fuchsia. And having others use and contribute back up to Fuchsia certainly feels like a big milestone. One big name that appears to be taking up Google's offer to contribute to the project is Samsung. Samsung has submitted a patch related to their Flash-friendly file system, or F2FS, which is an alternative file system designed and optimized specifically for Flash storage, such as, say, I don't know, the built-in storage of a smartphone. Hmm, makes you wonder perhaps what Fuchsia just might be used for in the future. More importantly, though, this isn't a lone Samsung employee contributing work to Fuchsia in their own name. No, now you'll find in the official author's file, Samsung Inc. listed side by side with Google LLC. 
The Ubuntu Touch project is in the headlines this week because they released OTA 17 with many improvements, and the big headline feature is NFC hardware support, which is available for all Android 9-compatible devices, such as the Google Pixel 3a and the Volophone. And according to the UbiPorts project, NFC can now allow an app developer to implement the ability to read and write NFC tags right in the app, as well as communicate with other devices that support the NFC protocol. And they've already whipped up a demo application to kind of show it all off. That's not all, though. In addition to NFC support, the Ubuntu Touch OTA 17 update adds many improvements to the camera, things like flash, focus, rotation, and zoom on several supported Ubuntu phone devices. Under the hood, Ubuntu Touch OTA 17 is based on Ubuntu 16.04 LTS, but as Dalton Durst told us recently, the team is still working hard to rebase things over to Ubuntu 20.04. And our last headline before we get to the discussion story this week is the framework laptop we told you about a little while ago is now available for pre-order. Now, you may recall this is the repairable laptop that includes a series of modules you can add. And they have a DIY kit that lets you run Linux and you assemble it and install your own distribution. Each laptop comes with four bays that are compatible with this expansion card system that lets you select the ports via these exchangeable modules. So you have USB-C and A modules and HDMI and a display port and micro SD. Like all, all of these are different fast modules that are using USB 4 connectivity. Things like storage and an extra battery can be plugged in or a gigabit Ethernet module, which is also in the works. The framework laptop is offered with pre-configured models running Windows 10 Home or Pro, but the company also designed the DIY edition, which is sold as a kit to let people customize and assemble the laptop and install a Linux distribution. Currently, there are three basic configurations, base, performance, and professional, ranging from just under $1,000 to just under $2,000, with hardware ranging from an Intel Core i5, 8 gigs of RAM, and 256 gigs of NVMe storage, up to a Core i7, 32 gigs of RAM, and a terabyte of storage space. As for the pre-order itself, Framework is only asking that users put down a $100 deposit, fully refundable, they say, with the first laptop set to ship at the end of July. So far, pre-orders are only available in the U.S., but Canada is promised in the next few weeks, and availability in Europe and Asia set for later this year. So, Espan, you're kind of in the laptop market. I know you went and plugged into their configurator, a machine that would be an ideal config for you. I'm curious what you spec'd and what the price came out to be. Yeah, it was a fun little experiment. It was just over two grand for an 11th gen i7, the nicest one that they offered. 64 gigs of RAM because, you know, you know I want to run a bunch of stuff in memory that I probably shouldn't. Like your entire OS. Yeah, like that. And uh, I didn't want to go crazy with storage, still trying to keep it somewhat reasonable. So I just chose the uh, one terabyte SSD, but it was the fastest version that they had. You could go higher, but that's enough to start with. I noticed, though, that this thing doesn't ship by default with a power adapter. No, really following the trends there, aren't they? Now, it is just USB-C, and they, they are very clear that you can go get one yourself and give you some specs that might help you find it, or they've got a fancy one they've custom-engineered themselves. Yeah, it's like 50 bucks. It's not too bad. Yeah, I figured I'd just get that because it's nice to have one by default, and it's assigned, it's new, it's just for that laptop, and I'd have to go buy one anyway. When you were pricing this, did you select the DIY edition? 
Yeah, you know I did. And that was interesting because you both get to and have to kind of bring your own connectivity. Now, I guess in the future when there's third-party modules, you could be, you know, might have some already from a different laptop you wanted to plug and play, but I'm just getting started, as is this ecosystem, so I needed to get some ports. You mean like the DIY edition? It really is DIY. Like there are no ports on this thing. Yeah, that's why they say they, quote, recommend that you select four (laughs) add-ons. All right, well, so like... How much are these add-ons? Not too bad. USB-C and A ports are each $9. Goes up a little bit, though, for fancier stuff like HDMI, DisplayPort, or microSD, which are 19 I could see having to pay $20 to have an HDMI port on your laptop being a turnoff, but then perhaps those people would be better suited for one of the packaged models that includes modules already. Yeah, that very well could be the case. And I could see this really shining for folks that wanted to buy a bunch of modules and reconfigure things depending on different scenarios, or maybe you just have a weird use case and you really want to use all of these with just USB-A. So after your modules and uh, your power supply, what was your grand total for your config? 2,176. All right, all right. That's not outrageous. I mean, that's definitely not the best deal around, but I mean, what's the value of repairability? And these modules, because they're using USB 4, it's not like they're totally unique proprietary to the framework. Like they could, I mean, I hate to say it, but they could kind of go away and you could maybe still wire into that. And then when you look at the internals of this thing, the disk and all that is just standard components that are just totally accessible by end users, including the battery. Um, so what is the value of a laptop where you can replace the battery and the hard drive and repair it? I mean, it, it seems like maybe it's worth a slight premium. What do you think? Are you going to pull the trigger? It seems like I think that's a good idea because I just did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. A live pre-order right here on the show. Well, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. Are you excited, Wes? It feels like an opportunity to fall in love with a laptop, which I haven't done really for a long time. It is a little bit steep. We'll see how that goes. But it's bucking a trend that just about no one else in the industry is. And I I do like the idea of repairability and of upgradability and a laptop that I control. And I tend to do pretty odd projects here and there. So it seems like a good fit. We'll see how it works out. Linode.com slash LAN. You go there to get $100 in 60-day credit towards a new account, and of course, you support the show. Linode is the largest independent cloud provider, and they are our cloud provider. That's where we host everything now. I've been using it personally for a couple of years, and when it was time to go independent again, we went with Linode. And then after using it for a while, I knew that they would make the perfect sponsor, because when I use a product and I love it for reasons that I know will resonate with the audience, I think to myself, well, that has serious sponsor potential. So I want you to go take advantage of this $100 credit, because using Linode is really what makes it click. You'll see it's just a little bit nicer than the way everybody does their version of what Linode started back in 2003. They've been around forever and they have focused on this game. Their technology stack is top of the line. Their systems are fast, their network connections are screaming, and they've got 11 data centers around the world. They also have hundreds of guides and tutorials to help you get started. And you know, one of the things that I think is great about Linode that you appreciate when you need it is their support. And this is something that's really, really come in from our audience over time. As we've had Linode now for a little while as a sponsor, we get feedback. And over and over again, I hear from you out there that say Linode's support is fantastic. I got myself into a pickle, Chris. (laughs) And Linode got me out of it. By phone or ticket, they're going to give you the best support in the industry. We use the heck out of their S3 compatible object storage. That's something you could really look into to take advantage of 
just something that goes beyond even just hosting. It's something beyond just an average server. It's object storage. It's great. You should go check it out. They have a lot of stuff that you're going to take advantage of, from $5 rigs to really super fast high-end systems. Go play around. Go learn. Go try something out with that $100 60-day credit at linode.com slash land. And a big thank you to Ting, linux.ting.com. Ting's new Set 12 plan will give you 12 gigs of data with unlimited talk and text for just $35 a month. They also have the perfect family plan. And if you use 2 gigs or 20 gigs a month, Ting's going to have a plan that'll work just right for you. They've really got access to three different networks that you can take advantage of. That means nationwide LTE and 5G coverage, this best in your area. Plus, the freedom of no contracts ever. And the great thing about Ting is their customer support is also fantastic. That's a big thing that I want nailed when we have a sponsor for you, is I want them to be able to take care of you guys long term. And Ting is all about that. That's been a major focus of their business. So go to linux.ting.com and take $25, whatever plan you end up with, including their $45 a month unlimited plan. You take $25 off your first month when you go to linux.ting.com. I've been a customer for about 500 years, I think. I mean, I'm just, I'm not great at math, but I think that's about it. And I'll tell you one of the things that I appreciate the most is over the entire lifetime that I've been a member of Ting, which has been years, honestly, I've had to interact with the customer service twice because of a device issue, and each time it was a great experience. But all the other all the other stuff, moving devices, switching networks, activating a new device, adding a family line, that's always been done through the Ting website. They nail those tools. They set that benchmark. If you're not big on interacting with human support over the phone, you're going to find their website really takes care of most of your issues. So check out linux.ting.com. Take $25 off. It's really simple to switch to Ting. Just about every phone will work because they do support so many networks. You go over to their website, you put in your phone information, and then when everything checks out, Ting sends you a SIM card, you pop that in, you go to their website a little bit later, and you're good to go. I mean, you're done. You're talking like a half hour tops of investment here to save money every single month. So go to linux.ting.com. What you're hearing right now is System 76's new launch keyboard in action with the Jade Switches. Two sets of switches will be offered for this formally announced configurable mechanical keyboard. The second set, the Royal Switches, are a little more muted. Yes, it's real. It is actually real, and pre-orders are starting now. The compact, highly configurable mechanical keyboard is entirely open source, as we would expect from System76. The schematics, the chassis, even the firmware codes, all freely available. And there's tight integration with Pop! OS, but it also works with all Linux distros, Windows, and Mac OS. The device comes with extra sets of keycaps, a key puller, a little bar to give you a little bit of a raise all those kinds of things in the box, all the niceties you'd expect from a high-end mechanical keyboard. Something that really stands out about the launch is its use of a split spacebar. Yeah, not just one big spacebar, but two separate keys. This is a little bit unusual, but System76 has its reasons for doing so. Namely, that their research reveals that most of us only use our right or left thumb for the spacebar, but rarely both. So, since there's half a key going to waste, you can swap it out for something you might actually use. The keyboard is also a USB hub with four USB 3.2 Gen 2 ports, two of those being Type-A and the other two Type-C. 
And the other aspect of the launch will be the software that is a companion piece with the keyboard. It lets you switch between different keyboard mappings at the push of a button. Anytime you want to switch a layout, you can hit a key on the keyboard or use the configuration app to initiate the change. And there will be four layers of key mappings that you can do to this. And and like they're doing with their new products, these are made in Denver, Colorado. The cost will be 285 U.S. greenbacks, and the shipments will start early next month. So those are the facts. But how are we feeling about it? Well, my first thought is, A, that's pretty pricey. But B, just from looking at all the promotional material and hearing from folks from System76, you can tell they've had a lot of fun and are really proud of this thing. Yeah, there's a high-end keyboard market, no doubt about it. And I mean, because you can buy keyboards for $20. The keyboard that I have right here in front of me, this was like a $100 keyboard. You know, and I, I think the most I've ever spent for a keyboard that is built for RSI, I think it was $300. The Ultimate Hacker keyboard, I think, is around that price. And this is offering pretty much everything that those keyboards offer, plus it's fully open source, even the firmware, which a lot of them are now, but this is nice to see. And it's built right here in the US of A. And for us Linux users, I'm going to like the fact that it's using LVFS for future firmware updates on the keyboard. I like that. That means you might actually do those updates. <laughs> I think I definitely will. So I did order one. I asked for a review unit too, so that way I could get some time on it perhaps earlier, but... Uh, I, I ordered one because I like the idea of System76 getting into the accessory market. They could sell 70% of these to Windows users for all I care about, you know, finance a few Thaleos. Yeah, that's a good point. This isn't really directed just at Linux users. It's really anyone who likes a nice mechanical keyboard or who's really a power user and might actually take advantage of all those layers. And I think there's also something pretty clever from a planning standpoint. If they learn how to master this keyboard... That's going to become really, really useful, and that's going to be a lot of lessons learned when it comes time to build a laptop. And I think long term, if we want a vendor in this space who's shipping open source systems from top to bottom, from from the chassis to the software, uh, I think you got to kind of vote with your wallet a bit on this one. At least I'm going to. Um, but it struck me, you know, it's like I'm not going to buy three of these things. I'm not going to deck out all my machines. And I know it's easy for me to say. I don't say this lightly at all. But what I would love to see is what kind of compromises would they have to make to get a $100 version? Something where maybe if I'm ordering a workstation, I could throw this in the order and, and get a nice keyboard with my workstation. But, you know, at $285, I don't know, Wes, I, I'd almost probably rather spend that money on storage or memory than a keyboard if I'm a typical user now. Yeah, if I know the value of a mechanical keyboard, like I have now learned in the more recent, you know, recent years... But, you know, $285, unless I really know that I like keyboards, it's a big ask. I agree with you. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I might buy this for my, you know, software development workstation at home because I want a nice keyboard, but I wouldn't just go adding it to any old random Thalia order. Yeah, and obviously some of this is going to come down to how it feels. You know, the, my philosophy, just super briefly, I've talked about it plenty on Coder Radio. I, I'm touching my keyboard all day long. I realized it's my hands are constantly on my keyboard. It is my number one interface to my computer. And I think I want it to be nice. I want it to feel good. I want it to sound good. I want to have a nice experience when I interact with it because I'm interacting with it for God knows how many hours a week. 
Having an integrated hub could be pretty handy as well. I think in some keyboards, that's kind of a bonus feature just sort of thrown in as an afterthought. But having USB-C and USB-A makes me think it could be a great addition. Maybe you're using this keyboard at a mobile station where you just dock your laptop up in there and now you've got a few extra ports. Yeah, you mentioned also the developer uh, aspect, you know, being able to program the keys and things like that is pretty useful. But I think there could also be a use case for us in the studio when we're interacting with Reaper, our audio editor. You could potentially add like, you know, with Reaper, you can set macros and actions that are a key combo that kick off a whole series of stuff. You could map that to some buttons on the launch and we could be flying through Reaper with our edit. That is a great idea. And you know that configuration tool? It's written in Rust. It is. And then you know what else is nice is that when you're done with the configuration tool, which looks really nice from the videos, we haven't tried it yet, but the videos make it look really simple and obvious to use. And then when you're done and you hit save, it actually writes that back to the keyboard firmware. So you can pick the old keyboard up and go plug it into a different machine and all your mappings are still there. That's definitely a nice feature and one of those features you see on higher end keyboards. I don't think it's unique to System76 and that's true for a lot of the nice features on here. What I'm not so sure about is how big of a market for a keyboard this expensive is there, how much room in the market for System76 is there, and how good of a job are they going to be at advertising outside of their main niche, which is frankly us, but there's a lot more mechanical keyboard users than people who are really focused on desktop Linux. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. I think the question you laid out there is how big is this market? We absolutely know there is a high-end keyboard market. We've got a couple here in the studio, and I pre-ordered one of these launches. So yes, it's a market that's obvious. How big, though? How big is a $300-ish keyboard market? And I I almost wonder if it doesn't, doesn't really matter if it's that big or not, because as a company... It's not like they're necessarily ready today to take tens of thousands of orders and start cranking these things out by the tens of thousands, right? I mean, it's a it's a brand new product. And as a business, they have to learn the process and procedures for procurement of the parts, for assembling and building it, for packaging it up and shipping it. And all of that is still new to them. And they probably, a slow ramp up would probably be ideal. I mean, I assume it's still new because we don't have review units. And if, if, I, if they could, they'd like to get review units out when the product's announced so that way people can get information out there. And it's, I get the sense it's a ramp up, Wes. And uh, maybe a small market at a higher price point is a way to kind of cap how many orders come in. And then as you learn this thing and you don't really have to iterate much, so your initial R&D investment kind of starts to get paid off, Maybe the price comes down, you know, 50 bucks or so in in a year or maybe comes down 85 bucks in a year. I mean, maybe as time goes on and they don't have to redo this thing because a keyboard lasts for a long time. They recoup some of that initial cost. The price comes down a little bit and it kind of it ends up in that in that sweet spot, Wes, where it's at a great price point And there's tons of people that are willing to pay that price. And then it just takes off like gangbusters. And the reputation of it just sells itself. Yeah, I mean, it, it could go that way. I do think you've hit on some things, though, that this is going to be a learning experience for them, which is good as they continue to develop their hardware. And, you know, they've already got some selection of manufacturing equipment in process, and they'll be adding some things that they'll learn with this new development. So even if it isn't gangbusters, as long as they earn some money to recoup that expense, it seems like it's really an investment in the future. But it sounds like you're kind of falling down on the side of you think it's probably going to remain kind of a niche product. Yeah, that's what I suspect, at least until they've got something a little further down the product line that you could actually just sell, you know, with most of the items that you ship. 
I want to know when they're going to make the System 76 mouse now. <laughs> or maybe like a launch keyboard like accessory that like snaps on and has all these extra buttons. What about a 6K System 76 monitor at your desk? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, maybe they could build that into the keyboard. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. They can take these ideas and run with it. We're just the idea guys, right? And we're totally happy to be compensated in mechanical keyboards. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you know if that ever happens. Just go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to send us keyboards. <laughs> and special content alert. Linux Unplugged 406 will have Tim Canham, the operations lead for the Linux-powered Mars rotocopter, join us to geek out on their five successful flights. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week.